Welcome to Your Cyber Path, the podcast that helps you get your dream cybersecurity job by sharing the secrets of experienced hiring managers and top cybersecurity professionals with you. Now, on to the show. Today, we're going to learn how our guest overcame this catch-22 that a lot of us have either faced ourselves or have heard people talk about, which is, I can't get a job that requires experience if no one will hire me so I can get experience, right? So it's a really common issue in the cybersecurity career field for people who are just starting out. But our guest actually busted right through that. And we were inspired when we heard about his story. So we wanted to make sure that he would share his secret weapon with you uh, folks in our audience. And we're gonna uh, unpack his secret weapon. We're gonna learn uh, how he did this. And we're going to talk about how you can do this too. It may be a secret right now, but it's not gonna be a secret by the time this episode is done. Our guest today is Ed Skipka. And today he's working as a vulnerability management analyst. And in general, Ed's a technologist, a, what I would call a gadgeteer, both in technology and also in the kitchen is what he was telling us a little earlier. So that's kind of interesting. Maybe we'll learn a little bit more about uh, what Ed likes to uh, cook or bake. But uh, let's get right into the subject here. So, Ed, would you tell us a little bit about your first IT job, how you got that position? And, um, and if you didn't have any experience, right, in your first IT job, um, how did you get over that hurdle? So my first IT job was a, a tier two job for the government. Um, so anybody's got a problem, you're there replacing software hardware. Uh, the big catch 22, like you said, it's like I had a friend and I, I count myself incredibly lucky living on Oahu. There's a lot of contracts around and I, I knew a few people, um, but they gave me a chance. That's what they said. They said, and you look for that one person to give you a chance and to endear yourself to that person that will give you a chance. Um, it's, I got an interview and they said, Hey, you have a background. You already have a bachelor's. You have no it experience whatsoever, but we tell you, you can learn things. You can pick things up quickly. And if you can find a, a subcontractor to our contract, Hey, we'll give you a chance, but you got to do that. And you got to get your sec plus. So they knew I was a straight and narrow guy who could learn. Uh, they liked me in the room. <laughs> That's always generally good. Uh, you know, uh, they said, find a subcontractor, get your sec plus, and we'll give you a shot. You know, you have a 90 day probationary period. You're going to do what you're going to do with that. So my, I talked to some people. I found a subcontractor. We went through kind of my resume. I was coming from an educational background. Uh, I actually went to Berkeley College of Music for uh, music education. So I had a bachelor's, but no certs whatsoever. I didn't have A plus, net plus, sec plus, but I had a, a degree and a passion for it. So talked to that person. They said, hey, you know, we'll get you on the path for whatever you need for the back end of government work. And mm -hmm. you got to get that sec plus. So that's when I started. And Jason's classes really helped me a lot. Um, you got to get that sec plus by this date. And I did that and they gave us a chance and it, you quickly find out that Googling is, is one of the, one of the skills that you have to learn very quickly. <laughs> um, but that's, that's how I got that first job. They, they, I had someone that gave me a chance and I had a little bit of a background and I could show that I could learn 
I could pick things up quickly and that I was willing to do so not, Hey, I want this job. This is what I'm looking to get paid to do. It's, I have an ability to learn. I, I want to learn. I'm here. I'm a sponge and I'm, I'm ready for it. That's, that's how it all started. Mm. So yeah. you, you said you had a degree, the degree is in music education, right? So it wasn't it related at all necessarily, right? Not whatsoever. I mean, Berkeley has a pretty good technology slant. So we were using GarageBand and Sibelius and um, just general, generally Mac-based products, um, the platform, as opposed to Windows. So I actually went into this Windows field service position, daily driving a Mac with an iPhone and, and Apple TV, um, <laughs> Not knowing what a, uh, a CAC reader is, common access card reader was, I was like, they're going to fire me. I don't even know how to <laughs> sign in with this freaking active client thing, whatever that is. I don't know. Um, so I had to learn very quickly. But yeah, I, I just had to show that I, I had the ability to learn, that I have learned things in the past, and I wanted to learn a lot more. Uh, and they, they really liked that, at least. Awesome. Yeah. The, the other thing is, you know, I know you mentioned tier two field services. I just want to clarify what that is for the audience, uh, because I, I know that tier two depends on where you work. Uh, I've done a lot of work in the government sector. So when I hear tier two field services, I'm thinking about the guy who's coming out and replacing my monitor, taking away my mouse or keyboard when they don't work. Anytime the computer and I call the help desk and they can't reach out over the network and fix it, they send out a tier two field services person to do that work locally. So I'm assuming that's what you were doing, right? Right, right. So yeah, your tier one is your help desk. They call in, hey, password resets, so just smaller things that you can't physically be on premises. If you're tier one, it gets escalated up to tier two. So I would, we would actually drive our own vehicles. Uh, good thing we got mileage uh, to these various buildings around Oahu on various military bases. And we had to set up the calls. And we had to set our own schedule. So we had tickets that would come in and we would kind of organize our day however we wanted, you know, whether that worked or not. Um, and we would go there and say, hey, I have a general idea of what's going on. Let's try to figure this out. And yes, we need a new motherboard. We need a new mouse. Um, hey, there's a corrupt package within, you know, Adobe or something like that. We have to, or hey, you don't have Adobe. We've got to talk to somebody. See if we can get that installed for you. That, that would be the tier two side of that. Awesome. Um, and, and because you're working in the military side, I'm assuming you had to have some form of security clearance to be able to do this work. Did you have a clearance before getting this job or is that something you got sponsored for once you mm. got this position? That is a huge hurdle for a lot of people. Uh, I did not have a clearance um, whatsoever. Um, I was kind of adjacent to the military, uh, but I, I did not personally have a clearance. Um, that was the thing, finding someone to take a chance uh, for the level of clearance that you're going for. There are various levels uh, and various levels are harder to get. So depending on your qualifications, if you have a degree or certifications, that's going to work in your favor to see, you know, it's all about risk management and someone needs to look at you and go, you know, this person looks like they, they are a good person, but I want to hire them and I don't want to, I don't want to look bad on me because these are recruiters and these are, you know, people, program managers that are looking to make themselves look good as well as give you a job because they're, they're trying to fill a billet. So, uh, it, yeah, someone took a chance on me. They said, if you get a sec plus by this date, I will sponsor your clearance. And awesome. I was able to do that through my various training online through Udemy and all those things. And yeah, that 
that whole process had to kick off. And that was a uh, fairly rigorous. <laughs> yeah. The, re the reason I bring that up is because I hear from a lot of people, right? That the two things that hold them back is either they don't have the experience and they can't get the experience because they don't have a job, which we're talking about here, but also, especially in the world of DOD and military contracting, well, if you don't have a clearance, nobody's going to hire you. And that's not true. There are people who will take a chance on you, but it is harder than if you already had a clearance, then it'd be a lot easier to bring you in. So in your case, it really sounds like you made an impression on somebody and they were willing to take that chance on you. Um, and so a lot of that goes into to soft skills, which is something that a lot of people in our world don't think about, but is so important in the hiring process, I, I think. Oh, 100%. And program managers and recruiters alike, they keep telling me, you know, we, we like talking to you, you know, your soft skills are pretty good. And coming from a music background, I, I'm thankful you know, coming from an education background, you got to be able to connect with people and talk to people and uh, have a little bit of an emotional IQ uh, to kind of read beyond the, the headline and see, you know, okay, what does this person want? And um, it, what kind of person are they? And then you kind of, you have to talk to them. Everybody's different and everybody wants to feel valued. So if you go in there and say, hey, I want a job and you have no qualifications. Well, you better be a, a pretty nice person uh, or have something going for you. If you got nothing going for you, no one's just going to come over and hand you a job, but uh, you can play up those soft skills. And hey, if you're uh, a pleasant person to be around and you, you, you show that you really want to be there, you want to learn and you have the ability to learn, uh, people are more apt to give you a chance. Because if you're like, oh, well, I, you know, I, I'm no Linux backwards and forwards, but no one wants to be around you. Uh, no one's going to want to work with you, especially if you don't have experience. So you got to at least break through that first job before you can, you know, get cloistered in your, your closet with all the servers and stuff. Yeah. yeah you know, there's, there's a, there's a saying that I think you're, that you are, are talking about, and I want to bring this out for people because I think it's a, it's, it's, it's something that you can remember. It's a little mnemonic that you can kind of keep in your mind. And so, you know, what Ed's talking about is, is that he allowed people to know him, to get to like him. And then from that came trust. Okay. So, so with, you know, people, people want to do business with people that they know, like, and trust. And that's really what that social glue there is, right? When we talk about soft skills, that's really the goal, right? To let people get to know you. Hopefully they'll like you and then they'll begin to trust you. Now, another thing that, uh, Ed, that you did that I think is fantastic is you, is you just, you brought a, a hungriness to learn. And I, there's a little term that I use for that as well. And I call those folks infinite learners. So there's a curiosity that just never ends. And you demonstrate that curiosity uh, to, to the people that you're allowing to get to know you so that they'll like you and so that they'll trust you. I, man, I mean, just so far, we've just started this episode, but already, uh, Ed, you're, you're helping people really understand uh, what we really mean by soft skills and how soft skills can actually overcome all kinds of hurdles that hard skills, uh, the lack of hard skills, you know, would, would, would potentially stop you. So, so this, this is absolutely fantastic. Um, I want to back up for a moment because I want to make sure that from a career progression point of view um, that, that we're really, really clear. So you came out of school, you studied music, and, 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 and you worked in education. And I think I saw on your LinkedIn profile that you were even uh, working in a bike shop for a while. Is that right? 
Oh yeah. Yeah. So uh, Berkeley is in Boston. So I was an avid cyclist. Um, I did various charity rides for uh, the MS 150 uh, for, you know, raising awareness and money for multiple scler uh, sclerosis. And uh, that was a big part of my life. Um, I Cycling was great. So I was like, I was working in some restaurants and I was like, this is, I want to get to a more healthy spot. So I started working at the bike shop and that was, I started right near the end of my college into uh, a year or so um, afterwards. And it was a passion. And if I'm honest, it also was, didn't help or didn't hurt that uh, I, I got half off most of uh, the bike parts. <laughs> so <laughs> thank you for my paycheck. Right. right. Or put it in the cash register. <laughs> it would be like that too. Like, do you want this direct deferred to uh, your, your tab that you have over here, your layaways? Um, and I do have a bike that I, I can't afford but was able to afford because I worked at a bike shop, but yeah, um, working in that was sales, but also kind of some backend management and stuff like that. And you have to get to know people, what they need, what are they looking for? There were a lot of students, Boston is huge mm -hmm, mm -hmm. college town. Um, so, Hey, do you need a commuter? Are you looking to have a road bike? You know, you had to find the requirements this person needed and, um, but yeah, that was the progression through school and then had the sales job and then just some odd, odd jobs here and there um, until uh, that that first IT job. I think that's fantastic. I think that people in, in the audience, you know, they might be thinking like, well, I've never had an IT job, right? I've had this job and I've had that job. Um, so, and they might, they might be feeling like I'm so far away from, from that cybersecurity job that I want so badly. I don't even have an undergraduate degree in technology. How will I ever make this happen? And I just wanted to take a moment so that people could see, you know, guess what? Ed just came from a place like that, right? Where, um, where he, he didn't have that deep technology background, and, um, and he worked in a bike shop and he studied music, but now look at him, look where he's been able to get to. And it's really that, that transition, um, that you've made that, that I think we really want to focus on here, uh, because I really want to encourage people. Like, I'm really glad you're here, Ed, because, because I want to celebrate what you've done because it's fantastic, but also I want other people to get inspired by what you've done because I think you're, you've set a, a fantastic example. So then you go from the bike shop and then, uh, in the story that you were just telling, you were a second tier, uh, support tech. Is that right? Okay, got it. All right, now, so you're, you're a second-tier support tech. You're learning the technology, right? You're fighting the imposter syndrome. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> Any minute they're oh, going to yes. catch, they're going to know that I don't know what I'm doing and I'm going to get fired, right? That's imposter yep. syndrome raging its, its ugly head. And you, and you <laughs> fought through that. Um, and, and then, you know, you were able to make the leap into cybersecurity. But before we talk about that, I want to ask you a couple of things. So first of all, you know, how did you manage the you know, the, those thoughts of doubt that, you know, that were just pinging around in your head? Well, I've always been someone that doesn't want to disappoint and I, I want to do the best I can. And I, I take pride in everything I do, whether it's, you know, mowing the lawn or, you know, setting up, uh, you know, an infrastructure of some sort. I, I take pride in pretty much everything I do. So that was a driving factor is I, I don't want to let these people down. You know, I, I don't think I lucked into it or it was like, I, I had something, I was presenting something to these people. So it wasn't like I didn't deserve to be there, but it was more of, okay, I've been given a chance and I, I need to, you know, earn my salt a bit here. 
Um, and that's what helped me push through was I, I want to be here. I want to continue to be here. It's a, a good environment. Um, obviously the, the pay was pretty good at the time. So it was like, I, I want to stay here as long as I can and do whatever I need to do um, to stay in this seat. And that's, that's what pushed me through. So how long did you stay in that tier two support role? Cause we're not really in a cybersecurity job yet. We're doing more of it tech support here. Um, so how long were you in that role? I was in that role in various ways for um, one year, 10 months. So just shy of uh, two years. Uh, but the way they did it, there were the, the turnover was so great. And that's why I found an in was because these support things, people go to these things and they use it as a stepping stone to get that clearance, to go to the next job, whatever. So the rollover was like every three to six months, we would have new people or a lot of new people um, after the first bit. Um, so I was trained in various different areas. So I was started off just doing kind of hardware software. And then I was working um, in a specific area within one of the bases. And then I was learning uh, uh, voice over IP stuff, uh, VTC, video teleconference. So they were just cross training me left and right. And then eventually in the same position, I learned um, a little bit of sysadmin thing. So Windows sysadmin, so setting up accounts, enabling accounts within Active Directory, um, setting up phones uh, within Unified Endpoint Manager, you know, that type of stuff. Uh, the rigmarole of, uh, that keeps, you know, the grease on the tracks, uh, they cross-trained me in everything. So that, it really was not just, hey, you're going to go and replace a, you know, a mouse or something like that or replace the modem. You're, I got trained in all these different things and that's why it was so great. Uh, but yeah, I was there for a year and 10 months and I, my job title and area changed maybe 10, 11 times. Um, and you might find that you might not. It really depends on your environment, what they're going to do for you and what you might just be doing one thing. But I know we had so many people leaving or some people stayed that you can't have single points of failure. So like Ed knows how to learn. Ed, and I, I got myself not in trouble for that, but uh, no one else wanted to do it. So I learned it. And then they actually needed me. And I was like, oh man, I have to do this thing, this thing, and that thing. And um, it came to the point where I was taking care of it. We were in zones. So we broken up in zones and I was the remote tech. So I had um, 12 to 13 remote sites all along Oahu. Uh, and my, my mileage actually became a, a secondary income at that point, you know, getting that 53 cents a mile um, because I was driving five, 600 miles at least for my job alone wow. a month. Uh, so, you know, I was all over, uh, and I built up to that. So I started smaller and then they cross trained me and sysadmin. And then we had, uh, Mac tickets, move ad change. So I was dealing with customers and then I was dealing with kind of managers and then I was dealing with the, the customer technical representatives. So at a higher level, like, Hey, there's some change management. So I, I was lucky that I got into that type of area, but I also sought those opportunities out. And that's why I got that cross training is like, oh, I'll, I'll learn Active Directory or I was willing to set up a friggin' iPhone and <laughs> shut off the microphone on that thing. Like, okay. And then they were, they were happy to teach me because they needed someone to do it. 
Yeah, I think that's an important thing, right? Because your willingness to learn allowed you to cross-train, and by cross-training, you got this bigger, broader skill set. Um, but also, you because of the position you were in, being a, a tier two field service guy, you're driving all over the island, which means you're interacting with a lot of people, and that helps you build your network even more, because that's where you really relied to get into the first job, was building your network of people. Um, so I, I guess that's kind of how that led to your second job, right? Yeah, so my... So the, the current job I'm in right now is my third job. Um, so my, my second job was actually as more of a, a watch officer operations type thing where I, it was a total culture and <laughs> I, it was within a, a operations uh, security, you know, uh, a NOSC. So a network operations security center. Um, and it really was adjacent to cyber. So I really wanted to be in cyber and I talked to my contract. So I did move into the second job with my current or my, you know, my previous contract. Um, I was like, I, you know, I want cyber, you know, I'm hungry for it. I'm going for these certs. Um, I want to get to the next level. So we're like, we'll get you in a spot that there's a lot of cyber going on. And then if positions open up, we can just roll you over because we want to get your face in front of them. So it's not just, hey, I got this guy that wants to be in cyber. We can roll him over. So that that second job, uh, yeah, you're just monitoring maintenances. You're kind of like a benevolent overlord of just pushing messages from one place to another. It was very administrative, but very, you, you got to see the operation side of it, which was which is great. You're at a, a 5,000 foot view where before I was on the ground with the users. Uh, so that, that was valuable in that way. Um, for that and even though it job. wasn't the ideal job that you wanted in cyber, it got you closer, right? So you took another step closer. You went from IT field services to this watch position, which got you closer to cyber. And then that was able to be leveraged into your third position, right? Yeah. So I was by proximity. And also I took it because there was a lot of downtime and it was explained to me, hey, and it was shifted work. So, and it was, you know, four four 10 hour shifts, but like, ah, oh, really, you're probably only going to be working like two, three hours. So I, I did take that with that in consideration. Uh, Cause I had anywhere from two hours to four hours per shift per day, you know, that I could study and we had TVs. So there, there would have been the, the temptation to, Hey, just watch TV, watch some TV, you know, DVDs and some game of Thrones, whatever. Um, and I did do that sometimes, but a lot of the time I was studying. And um, this is the time where I actually went back to school. I'm currently in uh, Western Govern Governors University, WGU, because um, of the certs, because I, I was cert hungry again. I'm like, listen, I don't have the experience. I can work on my degree, but also work on my certs. Um, and I just, I just worked on certs and certs and certs. So I had, so to kind of reverse, I had to get that sec plus for my first job. And I was like, the imposter syndrome was creeping up and I'm like, I got to fill in some gaps. So I actually did go back and I got my network plus and my A plus. And truth be told, the A plus was actually one of the harder tests. <laughs> like it wasn't necessarily that the, everything was tough in itself is just that you had to memorize so much, you know, what's the, What's the capacity of a dual layer DVD and uh, SODIMs and stuff like that? So if you're studying A plus and you're like, well, this is this is this and the SEC plus is insurmountable, I'll say they both have their challenges for different reasons, um, and they're they're all valuable. So if you get the SEC plus or a net plus or A plus, you can always go back 
um, you should never feel bad for knowing more. Um, so I did go back and I got those and I got the ITIL four foundations and that kind of rolled me over to my, my second job. And there I just, I cranked out the CYSA in about six weeks. And then I did the pen test plus after that. Um, and then I started working on ISC squared SSCP after that. So in five months, I was able to get all three of those. Um, and then I started working on my next one. So that I used that second job as, hey, you're paying me to study. I have downtime. If you have downtime, you, you can make that what you will. And I was able to get five classes out of the way and three certs under my belt. And that that's great. Helped me. That's great. You know, one of the things I like about the way you did that, Ed, is first of all, you didn't get it, didn't give into the temptation to just watch television and goof off, right? I mean, certain amount of that's perfectly fine, right? But you took the vast majority of that time and you invested in yourself. The other thing that I like about what I heard is you didn't collect certifications just because you felt like, well, you know, I, I need to boost my resume. So I'm just going to go get a bunch of certifications um, to make my resume look better or whatever. You did it because you had a specific goal for yourself, which is I want to fill in some gaps that I have in my knowledge because I want to be more useful. I want to be able to solve more problems. So certification for you was a way to become more educated about what it is that you were doing. And I think that's a much healthier attitude about certifications in general than what I sometimes see is people collect certs like Pokemon cards and, uh, you know, and, and they just do whatever they have to do to pass the test, but they really don't, you know, retain much or maybe anything that they learned. Um, and so what I tell people is like, look, I'd much rather see you go out and, and, you know, volunteer and, and learn by volunteering than to, you know, go take a bunch of certs just because, you know, you think that's going to help you get a job and it's, it's really not. In fact, that can backfire on you, right? If you get too many certs and you throw them all in your resume, then a hiring manager could look at that and go, uh, I don't know what to do with this person because, you know, they're all over the place. I don't see any focus here. And, um, and, and they just seem to be valuing certifications too much. And it would just make, it would just, you know, make me wonder, you know, what was their real motivation for going off and doing all that? So anyway, just want to point out and commend you for that attitude and just help our audience really understand, you know, why was it that you, that you went off and did those certifications? And I, I think that's fantastic. Ed. Yeah, I think Thank the you. other piece of that is, you know, Ed had said that he went to Western Governors University. So for those who don't know, Western Governors University is a school in the United States. Uh, it's one of the accredited colleges and it is a distance learning school. And a lot of their courses line up directly with the different certifications. So for instance, I know they have a course that covers service management, which is Idle 4 Foundation certification. They have one in cybersecurity, which is the uh, Security Plus. They have another one for Network Plus. They have another one for A Plus, Part 1 and Part 2. And so as you're going through that degree program to get your bachelor's degree inside of cybersecurity, you're also collecting a bunch of these certs or have the opportunity to collect those certs. The curriculum is based on the certifications, but you don't have to necessarily take the test uh, or, or that certification. But while you're studying, you might as well, so you have it on your resume if you need it, or you can add or remove it as you need to based on the jobs you're applying for. And again, Ed is in this defense contracting world where certifications based on the 8570 requirements are actually critical to you getting certain jobs, like you mentioned earlier. He wouldn't have gotten that first job without his Security Plus because that was a contractual requirement they had. Yeah, 100%. It's great. In the, yeah, so I'm glad you brought up the DOD requirements because um, 
they all have an overlap. So if you're like, I'm going to just cert blast this and they all fulfill the same requirement, well, maybe that time could be spent elsewhere. So I, you know, I got the CYSA and the, the pen tests and um, those extended the sec plus, but if you're not looking to go much past sec plus, um, maybe you get into a lab environment and you, you know, you do volunteer, you do enrich yourself with your skills uh, and hard skills other than certifications because certification is a piece of paper that says, Hey, on this day, I had this knowledge and that is good. But once you meet that, that, uh, that requirement, you know, it, you have to have the, the diminishing returns of, okay, I don't need three of these that fulfill the same requirement. Definitely. Um, so, so that brings us up to your third position, right? So you went from your watch floor that you're working on. So you went from the tier, tier two doing field service, you went into the watch floor, you kind of got some more certifications, was working on your degree, and then you wanted to get into cyber and a position, I guess, opened up that got you into your current job as a vulnerability analyst. Can you tell us about that transition? Sure. So I, I'm a bit of a squeaky wheel and uh, there is a fine line between being a squeaky wheel that gets the thing going or, you know, gets the grease and there's the squeaky wheel that gets removed. Um, so you do have to find that, that balance. And uh, that was one thing that was hammered in me and at Berkeley was uh, networking and everybody does it poorly when they first start out where they just start conversations with people that really don't want to talk to them or, you know, just don't share the same interests. Like we're networking, right? We're networking. And uh, yeah, and then they never talk to people, but, you know, building relationships and building um, communication with these people over an extended period of time is how, how people get to know you, how people trust you. And, and they learn from you that, Hey, maybe this is a, a person that I'll, I want to hire one day. And I, I just wanted to keep myself in people's heads. So I was in front of all these people that were program managers and I, the, my current job, it was a customer. It was a person that I fixed their, you know, their computers. I reimaged their computers at one point in time and I worked on that base. So I had a reputation of uh, good service, um, management and providing a, a good service to them. Uh, it was a program manager. I didn't know that at the time and I wasn't going at it. You don't want to go at it with, uh, hey, this person's a program manager and I'm gonna just going to talk their ear off about how great I am or even how much I can provide to them. It's like you want to build a relationship and these people want to, you want these people to want you in the room and there's nothing worse than someone asking you for something all the time. So I, I spent my time that year and 10 months cultivating, but I didn't stop. So anytime I got a cert, there was a, you know, a blast email of five, six people like, Hey, how was your trip to Vegas? So, you know, this, whatever, you know, I kept up with people in a, in a respectful way. I wasn't, you know, on their Facebooks or anything like that, but I would send out an, you know, an official email. Like, hey, I passed my, my pen test and I'm really psyched about it. How are you doing? It wasn't, Hey, I passed my pen test please give me a job. Uh -huh. I mean, I stopped just short of that. Uh, <laughs> but I, I did keep up with people. So I was in their heads. So if a position did come up, it was, hey, who do we know that could possibly cover this gap? Who do we have on our shortlist? And I put myself in front of those people. I kept myself in their head. And I worked with the person that hired me for nine months on something I started in my first job, into my second, into this job, 
like, Hey, you know, what, what's out there. Uh, he would pitch some ideas. Some of them were the, the GSGG, if you don't know, you know, the government, actual civilian government, and some things didn't pan out. They had some people that were able to fill it with more experience, uh, but I didn't give up. And there were times that I, you know, you're discouraged and, and there was probably five or six positions that passed by <clears throat> that I didn't get. And there are ones that it seemed like it was a done deal. Like, Hey, I think you'd be great for this position. We're going to bring you in. And then, you know, the emails go dark for mm-hmm. a month or two. And you're like, Oh man, what did I do? And you kind of internalize and it's very easy to do that. But I, I never thought I would give up, but it was discouraging. It was uh, hard to kind of just keep persevering even though like this seemed so, and it was so hot and cold, like, yeah, 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 yeah. And then it was just a flat no. And you, you have to not take that personally because there's, there's reasons why people get chosen. It's not because you're a bad person or you weren't qualified. It's maybe there was a different, uh, you know, someone had a different mojo or mix of things that, that got them that job. So, yeah. And, you know, uh, candidates, uh, Ed, this is a wonderful point. And I just want to emphasize this. The- <laughs> The information situation is so asymmetrical. Candidates know so little compared to what hiring managers know. Hiring managers know so much more, and they can see things that the candidate could never see um, just because of the position that they're in, right? So they see the shifting requirements for the job. You know, they might post the job as... um, you know, one thing, but then halfway through the hiring process, they realize, oh, wow, we actually need to add cloud security into this job. Well, that wasn't on there when you applied. And then they added it. And then you didn't have cloud security because that wasn't something that, you know, that you saw that you needed to put on your resume. And so you tailored it and you didn't put it on there. Maybe you don't know anything about the cloud security. But anyway, just the point, you're making a great point, which is people tend to take this stuff very personally. And you, I mean, and I can see, I I struggle with that too, but I think it's really important to realize that there's so much you don't know. There's so much that's out of your control that you really need to remember that when, when you don't get the answers you're looking for, or when somebody ghosts you, um, you know, I I know it does affect you personally, but you really need to try to not, uh, you know, really dwell on that, that it must've been something you said, or must've been something you did or didn't say. It, it usually has nothing to do with that stuff. Yes, I know Ed had mentioned also the GG and the GS uh, positions, right, that he was trying to get into. Um, that's government civilian, where you actually work for the federal government and are hired by the federal government. If you're interested in those jobs, you go to usajobs.gov, and there's a list of all of the ones across the entire world that are there and sponsored. Now, the challenge with those sometimes is that you may be the best qualified, but you may not have the right hiring preference. So when it gets down to that final selection, we may have looked at that person. Let's say we looked at Ed and Mary and Sue, and we looked at all of them, and we said, oh, well, Ed's the, maybe the most technically qualified, but Mary is a disabled veteran. So she's going to have a hiring preference over Ed, and I'm going to have to justify why I don't choose her and why I would choose Ed instead. And so sometimes you'll see people who may not be as technically adept or as technically qualified for a particular position get the job because of certain hiring practices within an organization. And the government is a great example of this because by law, we have to give preference and we give a certain amount of points of an additional advantage for anybody who is a disabled veteran, anybody who has a spousal hiring preference because, uh, for instance, Ed is in Hawaii. If there was a military family that got moved to Hawaii 
and the wife or husband used to work for the federal government and the other one was a service member, they have to give that spouse preference on hiring because the government just moved them to Hawaii and took her or him away from their job in DC, for example. And so that may be a case where you applied and you may have been the best person. And that organization, you're already there and they, you, they know you, they like you, they trust you, and they want to hire you, but they can't because the other person has preference and they're going to bump you out of that spot. So these are some of the things that happen behind the scenes and nobody would ever go, hey Ed, sorry you didn't get that job because of spousal preference or a disabled veteran got it or something like that. And you'll never know that. But these are the things that do happen on the backside. Yep. 100%. Yep. Anyway, so, you know, uh, Ed, you were, you were telling us some really super insightful, uh, you know, things that happened to you while you were, you know, making that last step into the cybersecurity role that you have now. And Jason, and I totally hijacked <laughs> what you're saying because we just couldn't help ourselves because um, <clears throat> that, and, that, and that's why we had you on the episode here, right? Because there's so many fantastic lessons in what you've been able to accomplish that we want to make sure that we're sharing with our audience and that they can then become smarter and better at this. But, uh, but just to recap, so, you know, Ed, you did what maybe we'd call like a three-step, right? Because Jason, we, we often talk about that when you're coming from a non-IT background, a two-step into a cybersecurity job is usually the right thing to do. In other words, you, you're in the job that you're in, then you move to an intermediate job, and then you stay there for a year or two, and then you move over to the cybersecurity job that you really want. Now, so Ed did a three-step, but it makes sense, right? Based on your story, based on your location, the opportunities that were available to you, a three-step is what made sense. And I really also want to commend the, 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 the work that you did to stay in touch with people, right? Like when you got a certification, you would just send them a message going, hey, how are you? I'm, I'm excited today because I just you know, finished this certification. You stayed in the front of their minds so that when the opportunity came, you, you know, they thought of you because you know, they'd heard from you recently, right? Mm-hmm. Anyway, well, I just want to commend you for that. I appreciate that. Yeah, I mean, it, the program manager that gave me my current job, I mean, like I said, we, we worked through several different positions and it, we just found one that finally that finally worked. And he gave me a little bit of a leg up and I had access to some trainings and things for some, some DOD specific trainings for specific tools. So that's funny, something you might want to suss out from the, the job market as well is what are we looking for? And there's some things that you have access to that you wouldn't know, um, you know, like working with uh, certain scanning software and things like that. And then that's what a, a hiring manager would be looking for. It's not a, a CompTIA, ISC Square, you know, Axelos, uh, you know, there's specific trainings of tools and you can like, Maybe they need Splunk or Snort or, you know, these different seams. And you wouldn't know that from the job posting unless you, you kind of endear yourself to these people. And this is, this is our ideal candidate for their qualifications. But on the job, this is the, the trainings you're going to need. And someone that doesn't have those um, isn't going to look as good to the, the recruiters. Yeah, you know, one of the things I took away from, from your story is that, you know, you made these relationships over time. You were in a position that got you into these different offices and you're able to make relationships with people based on your reputation of being a good worker, a good tech. And people start saying, hey, this is somebody I want to work with, somebody I like, somebody I now know, somebody I'm now trusting. 
And so by the time you got to your third position, this program manager was looking for a position to put you in because he knew he wanted to work with you. He just had to find the right job that he could match your resume against and be able to hire you into that position. Um, and, and you know, some people may say, that's not fair, right? You, you got a leg up. You were able to bypass the hiring system. But honestly, this is how it works a lot of the time. Because when we're hiring somebody as hiring managers, we are taking a risk on bringing somebody on board. And it costs us tens of thousands of dollars if we make the wrong hire because I may waste six months with you and then have to get rid of you and find somebody else. And that process is time consuming, it's expensive, and when I don't have somebody in the contract, I'm not getting reimbursed from the government. So I wanna make sure I minimize my risk. And so when I found somebody that happened to be in my office as a tech working and impressed me with their skill or the way they handle themselves or their customer service skills or whatever it is, that is somebody I now put on my short list that I wanna find a way to get them into my company and be able to fill one of my positions because I know they're gonna last a long time. And, and so I think, you know, a lot of people think that it's this, this pure, unbridled system that nobody has a, a leg up, but sometimes you can give yourself a leg up by making those relationships. And I think you did that really well, even if you weren't necessarily uh, trying to do that on purpose, that's kind of ended up where you were by making those relationships. It gave you that leg up. Yeah, 100%. And I almost didn't get the job. Um, the, the, my current job, I, you know, I did a, you know, post-mortem with the, uh, once I got hired on and he's like, listen, Ed, it was, it was tough. And we had someone that had experience and six months to a year. And it was very tough. It came down to you and two other people of maybe 10, 12 that we, we sifted it down to. And he, he's, he told me, so I'm, this is secondhand from him, but he's like, can Ed make up the difference? Uh, mm -hmm. And they, they said, this is not me gloating for myself. And he's like, I think Ed has the courage to make up that difference and to, to be uncomfortable. And we, we like the guy. We know this guy. You know, we know this guy. And they're looking around the room. We're like, this guy is good. And he has the experience. But we know this guy. So we're, we're like equal footing. And that's the swap this variable for that thing, the tangible, intangible. And I, I'm glad you brought up the hiring manager thing, too. It's like, if you make a bad hire. And their boss and their boss's boss sees that this person is a program manager and they had a bad hire. They've lost some intangible assets there where it's like their whole team loses that, uh, that trust. And that's what they're hiring for. And this one was a very good, and I'm glad it's a team environment. It's not just a job and the people work as a team and he was vetting for a team. So in that I had a leg up cause it wasn't this monolithic, uh, sock where they have 25 people and they need to fill five seats it was a smaller kind of like splinter group type uh, you know like five six people um that really need to know their stuff and they need to be able to work together and that's what they were hiring for is okay given the skills we know him we think he would get along with everybody that would be there he's he's approachable teachable uh that's what we need right now if we give him a chance because again 90 day probationary period um, we're going to give him a chance. And that's why we feel we can take a chance on him is because we know this guy and he could, he could possibly make up that difference, but also that he works with the team that we currently have. Yeah. I mean, gosh, I tell people all the time when I'm hiring, I may be 60% soft skills and 40% hard skills. And I've just got my thumb on that. You know, I want somebody that I know that I like, that I trust that will work with the team that isn't going to piss everybody off because they come in and they're gruff and difficult to deal with, right? That's going to mess up my apple cart here if I do that. 
<clears throat> and it's especially bad if I have a false start where I hire somebody and they don't work out and they leave in 90 days or six months or something like that. You know, the, you're, you're absolutely right, Ed. The cost to a hiring manager in that situation is awful. The candidate had an awful time. The people on the team are having an awful time. Everybody loses when you have that false start. Everybody loses. And it's not just money. But um, yeah, that's very perceptive of you. Okay, listen, we're almost out of time on this episode today. So I just want to give one uh, final uh, a little bit of time to Jason, and then we'll go to you, Ed, uh, before we wrap up. So any last words, uh, Jason? Yeah, I think it's important. Um, a lot of new people in the cybersecurity field that are studying, they think technical is the most important thing. And just like Kip just said, right, it's more of a 60-40 split of non-tech versus tech. And some places, it's even 70-30. The reason for this is the fit in the organization and the culture is so much more important. I can't teach you how not to be a jerk, but I can teach you how to pass a Security Plus exam. I can teach you how to pass your CISSP. I can teach you how to do log analysis. I can teach you how to use Splunk but I can't teach you how to be a nice person, right? That's something you've developed over 30 or 40 years on this planet. And so as a hiring manager, I'm looking for somebody who's gonna be a good fit culturally in my organization, primarily, and then those technical skills to back it up when all things else become equal. Yep, thanks. Ed, last words? Uh, last words, I'd say, uh, you know, uh, go to Jason's courses. I think he, he does a good job. I think if uh, you guys are gonna do something together, then, you know, Kip and Jason, um, you know, some of the best tests out there that'll help you out. But again, um, don't, you can be discouraged. It's fine. You can, you can acknowledge that, that sometimes stuff is tough, uh, but try to focus on the right things, get the right certifications for the job that you want. Um, and then just start making yourself valuable. And as is said, 60, 40, uh, cross train. Is there something talk to people? Can I get cross train in this? Can I pick up these extra little skills? And then in doing that and endearing yourself to people and being a person people want to be around, you both you're getting skills and you're getting your name in front of people um, that maybe down the line, there could be a position three, three degrees separated. Hey, I, this guy, I know he's a really good guy. You should give him a shot. You know, word travels fast. Uh, if you, if, you're a good worker and you know where to focus and people want to be around you, people will want to be around you. So just seek to be valuable and seek to be teachable. And I'd say never stop learning no matter where you are. If you have a CISSP or beyond, you know, um, pick up some courses, never, never stop learning and never stop making yourself valuable. Ed Skipka, thank you so much for being our guest today. Glad to be here. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Your Cyber Path. Don't miss an episode. Press the subscribe button now. If you would like to learn more about how to get your dream cybersecurity job, then be sure to visit yourcyberpath.com, where you can access the show notes, search the archive of our top tips and tricks, and discover some fantastic bonus content.